are listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. It's kind of embarrassed. I just was looking for beer in the refrigerator, and there was something called a Mick Ultra Pure Gold in there. I think my future son-in-law left in there, and it's like, oh my God, this is awful. I'm embarrassed to be drinking it, but it's here in my hand. Brandon Jaggers. I thought it was a great idea that me and a couple of my roommates go to Golden Corral. I've never been there in my entire life. I've never been to a buffet. Well, I like Sizzler back when I was growing up. I thought it was a great thing. And me, CC brought us. I did a deep dive on Linda Ronstadt. The auxiliary gate. Big problem. Okay, everybody, welcome back to episode number 132 of the Auxiliary Gate podcast. It is February the 7th, 2023, Tuesday evening, and I'm joined, as always, by Alan Schneider. Alan, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm ready to do another unscripted uh, bunch of bunch of crap with you here tonight. <laughs> it's been a while since we've been on, I think. I, we took about a three-week hiatus. i got to be honest with you, there's nothing to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I, we... I, I like Turfway a lot, and I don't get too enamored with a lot of uh, stuff. So, yeah, I'm always find other. I always find the behind the scenes stuff interesting in horse racing. You know, sometimes a lot more than the actual wagering. I'm 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 prone to pass on that from time to time. So, so there actually is always something to talk about. But you know, a hiatus, just like TV shows back in the you know the day, they would have their 22 episodes and they take their take their hiatus. We took a little one. I'm sure the other one's coming up, and you know, no worse for the wear, right? Uh, Super Bowl's coming up this Sunday. Uh, did, any traditions for you, or any, do you? Do you celebrate? Do you party or anything like that? Uh, overall, the Super Bowl's a bit overrated to me. I mean, I enjoy the playoffs a lot, but that said, my buddies and I always do go up to Super Bowl. It's kind of a rite of pass. We don't get to see each other as much as we used to. And my brother-in-law, my brother, I don't know if my brother can make it this year, a couple of buddies of mine, we always go out to the bar and just uh, – because we are genuine football fans. We don't bet the games. We don't we, – I, I don't bet football. I enjoy the, the the sport because of the sport, and so uh, yes, it's it's. I guess in that regard, yes, the Super Bowl is is uh, kind of a cool thing for me. It's just a, it gives us an excuse to get together and watch what I believe is actually the best sport there is. I mean, I like horse racing is great, but you know, you hold a gun to my head, I'm I'm going to take football, uh, more so college football, but I do like the the playoffs and whatnot in the NFL. So, do you have any traditions? No, I, I don't enjoy Super Bowl Sunday until the game starts. Well, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, that, that's, people who watch I don't care about hours of pregame coverage, that's insanity to me. The the old days of the commercials that were fun back in the, the late 80s and the 90s. You remember the Bud Bowl? Oh, yeah. And, and stuff like that. You know, that was fun, but that, that doesn't doesn't resonate with me anymore. Yeah, because a yeah. lot of people who are not as old as we are were – don't realize that the Super Bowl wasn't as big. It was a big deal back in the day, but it wasn't as big a, uh, I don't know, cultural thing like it is now. It was about the game back then, but now the, the halftime, because it used to be a halftime show, it used to be up with people, you know. And But with the commercials and the NFL's amazing marketing skills, it's it's gotten to be otherworldly the last, I don't know, what, 25 years or so. Right. So, that wasn't the What's the earliest part. Super Bowl you remember? Oh, God. See, I go way back because I am almost 53. I can go back to 79 when Vince Ferragamo and the Rams lost to Terry Bradshaw, Lynn Swan, and the Steelers. 
that was, I mean, it was, that was growing up with a bunch of kids in the neighborhood and stuff, but boys, it was a big deal back then. So I remember the Steelers beating the Rams and it was the Eagles. I remember a couple of years later, the Eagles beat the Raiders and Jim Plunkett. I think it's Ron Jaworski. I ain't going on. I mean, back in the, back in the eighties, man, football was in the nineties. NFL football was, was spot on with Dan Marino and oh God, John, you know, John Elway, Phil Sims, Earl Campbell, Eric Dickerson, those guys, I mean, legends. I, I know it's still like that to some extent, but it's it's gotten almost too big. But so many things have gotten too big, but still enjoy it. My earliest memory, I think, and I don't know what year it was, but it was uh, John Riggins and the Redskins. Yes. I think they beat the Dolphins, right? Dan Marino? That sounds right. Was, and the, uh, yeah. The Hogs. The, one of the, one yeah, of those I remember guys. the Hogs and yeah. John Riggins, and that's all I remember. And I'm sure, you know, I was – it was Sunday night, and I didn't want to go to bed. It was Mark Rippon and uh, back then, and Joe Thasman and uh, Doug Williams. They, I think they may have all won Super Bowls for Reds, because I may be wrong about that. But yeah, I think Doug Williams maybe came later. Yeah, but and uh, maybe, you're right. It was, uh, but then it was Joe Jacoby, who's one of the, the offensive linemen. One of the Hogs went to my high school before I got there. Did he go to U of L? He went to Louisville, he went to right? He went to Western High yeah. School. Where I went. Yeah. Okay. Reminiscing about the good old days of the NFL. All right. Well, moving right along, uh, there were well, were two weekends removed from the Pegasus World Cup, which uh, featured an outstanding performance by a local horse art collector. Of course, we yeah, had Tommy right. Drury on several years ago, and he trained art collector. Uh, now, the horse was transferred to Bill Mott's barn, and, and he's gone on to do some great things. And he, he resoundingly won that Pegasus World Cup, not the greatest field that, that they've ever assembled. But it, honestly, that the race is always top-heavy. Yeah. And it's, you know, but uh, I don't think anybody saw this effort coming from from Art Collector. So so good for him and and uh, good for a, uh, a guest that we tried to get on our podcast and, and we couldn't get, make, we couldn't get the technical aspects to work. But, uh, Bruce Lunsford. Mr. Bruce Lunsford, yeah, good, congratulations to him. So. You know, back when he first started this thing, Art Collector was like our horse when we first started. I think Joe yes. Smart became became an afterwards or whatever. But, yeah, it was because that's when Art Collector was first blossom on the scene. And we was thrilled. We had Drury on. We had Brian Hernandez. We just started doing this or whatever. And it kind of, uh, in our little world, grew from there. But so Art Collector is a bit of a house horse. So I, we were happy. I was happy for the connections. I, I didn't see the wind coming. I didn't always go sit off the pace and go by them like that. But, uh, you know, uh, Pegasus car doesn't usually do a lot for me, but I was glad to see the art collector did win. This past weekend at Gulfstream, they ran the Holy Bull Stakes. Again, not a really great field, but Bill Mott won it again with a horse named Rocket Can, horse that uh, broke his maiden at Churchill Downs last November and then ran second in an allowance race to Confidence Game. And Rocket Can, I like I said, the the, the race kind of fell apart. wasn't a great It wasn't a great race, but Rocket I thought his Man effort was he beat yeah. Maidenfield at Churchill last last fall. Really good. One. I thought I thought the effort was nice. He was four to five wide all the way around the racetrack, breaking from the eight hole, and uh, still had plenty left in the tank. Uh, he he received an eighty two buyer. But I saw on the uh, the the Ragazins that posted their numbers, he got a ten, which was equal to the the Baffert horse that won the Bob Lewis, who we'll talk about in just a second. And a lot of that is based on the ground loss. Uh, a ten is a pretty decent number for a three year old, an improving three year old. Uh, he'll have to move forward if he wants to be a Kentucky Derby contender. 
yeah. But uh, that's, you know, we've got three months to decide that. But uh, What I want to you know, know is, if anybody's listening, be honest. Who are you people that were betting Cyclone Mischief and Dale Romans at six, six to five, even money? Who was doing that? I mean, I think he beat one horse. I love Dale. I, I, you know, you know when his horses are going to run well, but more oftentimes than not, you know when they're not going to run well. I'm not going to say that I didn't think that one was going to run that poorly. But, I mean, who was betting that horse six to five? Come well, on. the problem is that that race came up so subpar if you I take know. him out. That, that, he almost won by default if you look at it on paper. Yeah. And uh, that was a really disappointing effort. So, but you you bring up a good point, the handicapping wise, and this is something I talk about a little. Is favorites by default. People will oftentimes default into favorites because they don't know who else to play and they want to play them. You see it in pick fours and pick fives all the time. They won't have a strong opinion, but they're looking for that one favorite somewhere, and it's not a, a horse that they really like. They'll just default into. They got to pick somebody, right? I would argue that you either pass those races or just do not default to a better priced horse. You see, I see default favorites. I see the turfway a lot. I see it in other places, but I do think Cyclone Mischief is an example of a, a default uh, favorite in that case. Uh, you know, Dale said it was his best horse he's ever trained, and that's only about the 17th time I've heard him say that, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, I'm sure that horse is a very nice horse. I'm sure he's going to continue on and have a nice career, but at six to five, I thought was wow. So, now anyway. earlier on the card, there was an allowance race. Uh, it came up fairly light, too. There was two Todd Pletcher horses yeah. in the race. Tappet Trice was the winner. And I'm looking at the Echo Base chart now. They've changed everything around, it looks like. I don't know what's going on with Echo Base. But uh, they post times instead of links. It looks like he won maybe six, six, seven links, possibly. I can't remember the race in my head, but yeah. this is a son of Tappet out of a Dunkirk mare. Uh, for Whisper Hill Farm and Gainesway, this horse probably has the look of a. I don't know where they'll go with him next. Maybe just uh, maybe Tampa Bay Derby, Florida Derby, or, or something like that. I don't know. But this horse is impressive. I think he's one to pay attention to going forward. Louis Saez rode him, and that was uh, it was a nice effort. You know, in that race, I remember watching the race live, and I remember I think it was Saez rode the horse. He he. You knew you knew he knew he had horse early on because he backed this horse out. He he took back and he immediately got himself in the clear from the inside, you know, fourth or fifth. And you knew, okay, he's always he's got a horse. He doesn't want to he doesn't want to cause any problems. He he did everything he could to get outside initially, and then from that point it was on. Now being by a Dunkirk mayor, I mean, that makes me think this is I don't really think real strong turn of foot with a horse like that, you know. Uh look good. I think it's Mandy Pope, right? Whisper Hill. I know they spent yes. a lot of money. So it's good. I'm glad they they got a good one. But when I when I think Dunkirk man, his running style, I don't think Kentucky Derby with the horse. Me personally, I may be wrong. I just don't see that kick. I just think that that's an impressive staying type of race horse. But we'll Belmont Stakes. Belmont Stakes. We I think we always we talk about defaulting. Whenever we see a horse that doesn't thrill us, but we know they're good, and they feel like we always default to that. That's the Belmont horse, right? We always well, do the, that. the opposite of that is if a horse you don't think can stay is more of a sprint type, you always point to the, well, it's not the King's Bishop, uh, the Alan oh, Jerkins yes. on Travers Day. Yeah, that, that is an Alan Jerkins horse. So, that's an Alan Jerkins yeah. horse, and that's a Belmont horse. Yeah. And we all, we all know what we mean by that. Well, most of us know what we mean by that. But when we don't think they don't like quite got the kick or they quite got the staying power, that's how we, we default to either the, 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 the Jerkins or we default to uh, the Belmont. They're compliments, but they're almost like slightly backhanded compliments. I hate to say it, 
Right. One uh, Kentucky Derby prep we want to cover, uh, the last prep is the Bob Lewis Stakes, Robert Lewis Stakes. Of course, he owned a lot of great horses in the 90s, uh, Charismatic, Silver Charm, uh, to name a few, Serena Song. Uh, of course, this race named after him. Uh, the, the Dominated by Bob Baffert. Uh, if you didn't know, there were 16 horses nominated to the race. He trained 14 of them. The other two decided not to run. He, he whittled his list down to four. And it was won by Newgate, who I kind of liked at Keeneland. I'm pretty sure. I think he ran in the Breeders' Futurity at Sounds Keeneland. Right. Yeah, and he, he didn't he didn't lift a hoof that day. But uh, this is the son of In the Mischief out of Majestic Warrior Mare. Uh, the cool thing about this horse, it was ridden by Frankie DeTore in his last year of riding. European rider won all the big races in in Europe. But now he's going to try to win a Kentucky Derby. And he, he's landed on Newgate. Uh, did, did you get a chance to see this race? Uh, I don't. I don't think you did. But uh, besides I, I that, any it, I saw it with the sound down. I didn't. I didn't even know the four horses were running. But I knew, as everyone knows, it was a four horse Baffert race. So of course, I bet fifteen thousand dollars on it. No, I, I just saw it with the, the sound down. Go ahead. I'll let you do the honors. Well, I, I think Arabian Lion was the favorite for uh, for the the connections that had uh, well, that owns Taba. And uh, I can't remember his name. This is this is how prepared I am. But uh, and the, and the, the gentleman that owned uh, Medina Spirit, that's a Zidane, Amir Zidane Racing Stable. Uh, I think that horse was sent off a heavy favorite, and he 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 quit. Didn't run a terrible race, but he just he finished last of the four. But Newgate kind of circled the field. Probably a horse that has a future. You know, if he improves just a little bit, he's right in the Kentucky Derby picture. So you know, nothing nothing new. To, from the Baffert barn, I I think the big story is the fact that Baffert had all four entrants in a in a Derby points race, and uh, it's it's kind of where we are on California racing right now. Uh, it's, you know, I, I don't think this race should have been made a uh, no. a betting affair. I agree. Because uh, I mean, he he he's the one man that knew uh, whatever how the race was going to unfold. Yeah. And uh, that's I I don't know. I just I, I have a problem with that. But, but somehow uh, people still, I think people still bet two or three million dollars into the pools. I mean, I, whatever I read, something crazy. I'm like, what are you doing? I, I, I've, I've touched on this before. You know what? People bitch and bitch and bitch and bitch about horse racing and stuff. Yet they still show up to bet it every day. And it's one of the things that gets on my nerves. Well, probably more than about the sport. People do that. They talk about all the. If you have complaints about the sport, I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. And I am with you on a lot of those. But when I make when I say I'm not going to do, I don't do it. So it's like you didn't like the fact that Baffert had four horses in a race. I get that. I'm with you. Don't bet it. If 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 this race, you know this this guy, this race has three cheaters in it. Blah blah blah. blah. Don't bet it. But usually you'll bet it anyway. And oftentimes when people start bitching about cheating and stuff, they've singled that cheater, hoping that that cheater cheats one more time. You know what I mean? So. I have a hard time with that lots of times. So many people were complaining about that and I get it. I'm all for it. But then they go and bet the race park sucks, but then they go and bet parks. I mean, what do you have the power? I've said it a million times. You're the better. You're the customer. You have the power. Don't bet. Things will change. It really does come down to that a lot of times. So if I've told you before, if, if it was a, if I'm running a racetrack and I know no matter what I put out there, if people are still going to show up and bet, why would I change? You're the power. So you don't like the, the situation goes on in California. I don't bet it. I don't bet it. That, that's not saying anybody that does. It's they have their every right to do that. But if you don't want that shit to happen, 
then don't bet it. And they will listen eventually. Or they'll fold up, whichever. On that race alone uh, is over in the the win place show exact to try daily double and pick three pools over half a million dollars was wagered on that race. Is that good? It doesn't include, well, I don't know, but it doesn't include, you know, pick fours, pick fives. Yeah, all the multi-race exotics. I'm glad the Tory won the race. That's nice. I like that. Yeah, that that would be a a really nice storyline going forward. Uh, One last thing before we get to our guests, uh, just now, the Triple Crown nominations were released, and then this is something I've been bitching about ever since we started this podcast. Uh, Brad Cox has 38 of the <laughs> 300, really? and, yeah, he has 38 of the 369 total nominations. Todd Fletcher, yeah, I'm getting to that. Todd Fletcher is next with 36. Uh, this comes from Ray Pollock. Uh, Pollock says that he believes Bafford has 26 nominated, but it's under a trainer named TBD. Oh, so yeah. they, he's he's really good, by the way. Yeah, that could be Tampa Bay. Maybe that's Tampa Bay Downs. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that that combined, that's 27. Three trainers make up 27 percent of the 369 total nominations. That's uh, that's like I said, I've been beating this drum forever. I, uh, you know, there's just too much consolidation in the sport. We need we need more trainers with more horses and spread the wealth. That's that's, you know, like a like a, a good NFL salary cap, I think would be would be fun in this sport. That's just my opinion. Right. All sports are eventually going to eat themselves. We said college basketball is already in the verge of uh, devouring itself. One day college football will, but in the NFL at some point, but horse racing does a really good job of it. So we'll see. All right. Okay. All right. That's enough for the, uh, the, uh, the, the prologue, the foreplay, if you will. <laughs> now we got a real guest come on. Really knows what he's talking about. Unless, like, unless, unlike us two clowns. So, Absolutely. All right. Let's get to him right now. Okay. Let's get to our guest, our esteemed guest this evening. I I, I would consider him a friend of the podcast. I think he's one of the best uh, racing analysts out there. I I enjoy uh, his uh, analysis of each and every race, especially on a Kentucky circuit. Uh, Speaking of none other than Scott Shapiro. And I got to imagine when I think of Scott Shapiro in the off season, when Churchill Downs isn't running, I'm expecting to to, to see a, an image of Scott on a beach somewhere, sipping a, a pina colada, overlooking the ocean and refreshing his mind. Is that the case, Scott? What's up, boys? Uh, friend of the podcast, indeed, and not on the beach sipping a uh, pina colada. In fact, with you boys uh, in the uh, not so great Ohio Valley air here, uh, trying to get through the winter. I understand that, uh, Scott. What do you do in, in the off season? I know you do a lot for a, for Twin Spires, but uh, what's what's a what's a casual day for you like? Casual day, I guess. Most of the winter would be watching uh, some football if it's a Sunday or a Monday night or a Thursday night. Otherwise, most of my time is spent on racing, whether it's work or not. Pro- kind of maybe a little bit of an issue. I wish I had more more things going on. Uh, certainly not against going out to uh, a pub and, and having a few drinks, but don't do it quite as often. My body doesn't doesn't love it as much. Occasionally watch some uh, some of the better shows, at least in my opinion, on television. But uh, mostly uh, involved in, in football and, and racing year round, Cece. What's a uh, Scott Shapiro approved Netflix series or any type of television series right now that well, you can uh, binge watch? Well, the best show I think that is currently running on television is Succession, in my opinion. I'm looking forward to that coming back in late March on HBO. The goats of all time, if you will, for for me are uh, 
Lost, Sopranos, Breaking Bad. I'm actually uh, in the process right now on Netflix of uh, getting the close to the end of uh, Better Call Saul. Was oh, that. my so, kind of guy, man. Keep yeah. going. No, that, those are the ones. I guess, you know, I have The Wire in that kind of B-plus tier. I watched it after everybody else, so I was told it was the greatest ever, which is always a tough way to go into things. I remember that being the case with the movie Something About Mary. If you remember that one, oh, it's the funniest movie ever. I saw it after <laughs> I said that. But. I'm going to interrupt her in a second, Cece. When no, interrupt. Because you're right. Something About Mary is good. It's, it's brother – Kingpin is superior by the same people. Agreed. Agreed. Kingpin is superior. Everybody goes about something about Mary and Dumb and Dumber. Kingpin was the lesser known of the three, and I think it's actually held up better over time. And his, his list of shows are pretty good. He's right about The Wire. The Wire is great. And I watch it well after the fact as well, too. The thing about The Wire is some of the seasons were uneven, right? Some of the seasons were great. And like uh, I think uh, there's like five seasons, right? I thought the last mm-hmm. season was a little iffy and stuff, but The Wire is really good. What about lost, 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 shot, shit the bed at the end of oh, last season. Oh man, see, I I know lost got lost got lost, not, no pun intended, a little bit there at the end. But you know, I can I guess I'm kind of somebody that once I get into a show, I, I don't, I'm not as critical of it. But I just remember like season three, four, amazing. That was, that was the most exciting I, I I was for an hour all week. I look forward to I believe it was I believe it was like Thursday nights. I lived out in California at the time. And that was just like the build up to the whole week was to get the lost. So I never don't think I ever watched any of those other shows while they were going on. So there's something special about that, like once a week build up, because now yeah. we just, now I just binge everything. It can't stop six, six, seven in a row, you know. Yeah, they're not as good overall. But yeah, let me interrupt you, CC. Go ahead. I was thinking uh, I started Breaking Bad back around 2016, 17, something like that. I watched it with Amanda. And she absolutely hated it. So I only got oh through season. No, she hated it. I, I, I went. I got through season two. I haven't. I never did pick it up. I'm. I'm oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Oh my god. That, that hurts. I might have to get off the uh, line here. But uh, I'm. I'm joining you. <laughs> no, but yeah. I will say this: the first season of Breaking Bad is not telltale, like a lot of other series. You you got it. It's not bad or anything, but it takes a while to become. And the one thing I'll say about Breaking Bad about compared to just about every other show, maybe other than Sopranos, is it doesn't regress towards the end. They don't. No. It's amazing that last, you know, that last season. It is. And it's, there are some of the episodes. Cease. I mean, it, I can't believe someone wrote that. And, and it's kudos to them. It's it's. There are amazing, mind-blowing episodes with that show, and it's it's just well done. And the ten, to actually be tense watching a TV show on the edge of your seat, they they achieve that. So we're getting off topic, but I mean, you you need to go back and watch Breaking Bad, brother. Yeah, I know, I know. When we get when we get a chance, I'll try to pick it up again. But All right. by the way, what is our topic tonight? I, I don't even know. I forgot. There's, I lost there's the a football email. Game. There's a football game going on. Okay, well, before we get to the football game, I got some just some random questions for Scott. Uh, what uh, what tracks do you play over the winter? Over the winter, I I've become turfway first guy, maybe maybe a company guy, but the but the but the big field sizes, the um the consistency of the course for the most part, thank the you, that you, come thank along you. with it have made turfway you know uh, uh, the the number one. I've been following I follow Oakland a lot for work, so and I think some of those races. Um, especially the towards the back end of cards have a, a lot of uh, relevance when it comes to the Kentucky circuit uh, come spring um, for sure. 
And I used to be a big Gulfstream guy. In fact, when I started my website way back before I got it, uh, a, a full-time gig at all in the, in, the, in, the, in the business, Gulfstream was really important to you know, uh, my success. But really, outside of the big days, I don't really follow it anymore. So it's it's Turfway and Oakland, and then uh, of course Fairgrounds on those big days um, big when days. I go down there. But uh, not otherwise, I don't really get too involved down there. Those Louisiana breads are a little outside my uh, league. So uh, last year I was horrible. I had a horrible gambling year. It was probably one of my my worst year ever. Probably if you get into ROI, and, you know, relative to when I was younger, but. I'm trying to become a better gambler, better wager on, on these horse races. So uh, what what type of wagers do you focus on? Well, it's a great question. And I would honestly say that over the last couple of years, they haven't been my better years either. Um, forever, I was almost all my money would go into horizontal wagers, whether it be pick four, pick five, pretty much those two. Um, some pick threes, but really the, the bigger ones, not the pick six back when it was $2. It was a little outside my budget. But uh, I, what I've come to realize over the last couple of years is the variance can really kick in and really take down some good opinions you have because your races where you're six deep in a nine horse field, you're still not confident in you get beaten those legs. It, or it's just hard to connect on five in a row, no matter at, at the, the size tickets I'm playing. So what I've really started to do is split up my budget. I still take chances at pick fives, a little bit less if I don't have a couple of horses to lean on. But I've really gotten better at, at betting just to win and ba- backing it up with some exact maybe keys with the horse over and under. And while I don't hit as many pick fives as I used to, it does keep you afloat and allow you to profit on days when your opinions are good. Um, there's just so many days as a pick four and pick five player where you are right, where you want expected to be right. Your single might win. Hey, maybe it's just a two to one or maybe it's a five to one. But 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 the races where you lack confidence in, you're spreading out in and still not connecting. And that can just eat away at you, which it did to me. So um, I would say you, you kind of still want to play those big wagers, because if you're an everyday player, it's hard to grind and just on win bets. But I think diversifying over the wind pool, maybe exactas and tries, along with those horizontal wagers is key. Okay, so I'll ask you because I, I ask myself this every day. What, why do you think that you're you're not as successful in the last few years? Well, I think one of the things is, as I you know, I, I've come to a new circuit over the last four years. I was a big California and New York guy for most of my handicapping life, you know, life. Those were, I would say, I don't want to say they're easier circuits because handicapping a horse race is the same. But in Kentucky, it's tricky here because there's so many moving parts. You've got circuit, you move to different places on the calendar much more frequently in terms of venues. And then you think about all of the places in the area where trainers can ship in and out of. Mm -hmm. And what it leads to is just not the same knowledge of every racehorse or most of the racehorses. You once had when I was in California, I mean, you get, you know, you get some shippers from Northern California, occasional turf paradise shippers. And then for big races, yeah, Chad Brown will ship, you know, horses in and 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 whatnot. But overall, you're looking at the same horses all the time. So the prep to be prepared to bet is less. And you just have a knowledge of those races those horses are coming out of. So part of me thinks it's that. And part of me just thinks it's the variance. I mean, I think I was fortunate 
I had a number of winning years in the mid 2010s because I was hitting, you know, 10, $20,000 wagers more than once a year. And that just hasn't happened recently. And I think a lot of it, like I said before, with the previous question, CC is just those, those races that you're relying on variants to either connect with in your spread races with a bigger price and not catching, you know, the second choice when you spread or just connecting at all. So I want to lean on both of those reasons. I, I More and more, I have to stop leaning on the Kentucky reason because obviously this is my circuit. I've been here long, but even being here long, there's so many moving parts. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Oh, well, if I could interrupt real quick, I, Scott actually echoes one thing. Well, a lot of the things that I actually believe, right? And one of the things he really touched on was consistency at Turfway. And like he was talking about not knowing, you know, there's so many different moving parts at different horses shipping. And that's what I think about Turfway. Turfway is different in that regard. You do know the horse population at Turfway because horses, they don't ship in that much, right? It's the winter time. The the big places go out. People usually don't come in that much. You might get some people from Hawthorne. So you do know the horse population. You know that this $7,500 maiden claimer was better than this $7,500 maiden claimer last week, or this $15,000 onwards of two was better than this $15,000 onwards. You can actually kind of compare apples to apples there more so than you can a lot of other places. And then the track itself, I think is consistent. I think pace, if there's a fast pace, they, they stop. If it's a slower pace, the front rows hold on. I think you get a consistent read most of the races. I mean, am I close to how you feel on that? Or is that just is that just me talking, Scott? No, I, I do like that part of Turfway. You know, some of the cheaper races are, you know, the quality of the horses are not as good as as some of the, the you know, Keeneland and Churchill, but it's consistent. They run back quickly. I think this year is the first time over the new surface at Florence where I'm a little bit not convinced as much as I used to be that it's an completely honest in the sense, like you said, Alan, that if they go fast early, they stop. And if they, and vice versa, they keep going. I think there's been some more speeds, speed wire jobs or close to wire jobs and races that look like they should fall apart than there ever has been. But overall, I totally agree with what you're saying. And, and, you know, I look at thoroughgraphs a lot and I look at the Brisnet speed ratings. I, I do incorporate that kind of data into my handicapping, but what has gotten me to this point um, in my horse racing handicapping uh, track or whatever you want to call it has been kind of the feel kind of knowing, like you said, I know that this on paper, this race is the same as this. They're both $7,500 claimers, but that race was way better. There were six yeah. horses in race a that would have been favored in race B. Yeah. And then if you keep it, if you can keep the mental notes going, like I knew in this $7,500 race, I knew there were seven speed horses and this horse was third by two lengths. He couldn't get to the front. There's not much speed in this one. He's going to run much better here, right? So if you can keep those those mental notes, I know people watch a lot of replays. They take a lot of notes. But if you know the circuit, you can remember these races. This horse is up against it this day pace-wise. He's not up against it. He should run better to this today. So I, I just think there's – I think that's one of the biggest myths in horse racing is the fact that turf is random. Now, will you get some random results? Yeah, of course you will once in a while. But I think overall it's fairly honest. Uh, more so, Like Gulfstream. Like if you go to Gulfstream, you can have horses get beat by a country mile, right? It's like they just when they when they get beat, they get beat badly. It doesn't seem like yep. it happens like that at Turfway. Well, I think with the Gulfstream point, for some reason that kickback really impacts horses. I wondered for a long time why it felt like horses would make moves on the far turn and disappear, and there would only be a couple horses on the screen. And it's like, yeah, horses were evenly matched. What's the deal? I think it, I think I came to the conclusion it's the kickback. 
I think Fair with enough. Turfway, when it comes to the random results, I mean, they're full fields there much more than most places on right. a regular basis. So that's going to lead to more random results. And also they're low-level horses. I mean, those horses just don't fire every time. So using that to your advantage more than, you know, saying it was random, I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. Horses, you know, only really good horses fire every time, right? Yeah, I remember the race the, other, the first race the other day on Saturday night. There was a ward horse that people are going to bet is a maiden 5,000. They're going to bet the horse obviously didn't have much of a chance, but he's two to one. You have a maker horse dropping, and people just gravitate to those two horses. Those horses obviously had flaws. So if after that, it was a wide open, you know, anything, and they didn't fire. So then, yes, everybody else was, you know, at a 40, a 40 to one shot one. But, you know, when they don't fire, if you bet bad favorites, that's what's going to happen. So, yeah, I'm a, you know, as you know, I'm a turfway guy. So we probably went on too long about this, right? So you see, I'll let it get back to you. Well, Scott, when you, uh, when you play horizontal wagers, do you do you play for a minimum amount, or you try to hammer a sequence like multiple times, or or what what? How do you handle a multi-race sequence? I would say when it comes to pick fives, pick fours, now with these you know these these mandatory payouts and kind of twenty cent and whatever fifty cent type pick sixes, I'm generally playing for the minimum. Um, I probably won't play for a significant amount if I don't think that if I could hit it on the minimum, it would be a worth enough score for hitting right. five, four or five or six in a row. I think when it comes to <clears throat> more trying to press up and, and hit from hit multiple times, that would be where I look at a pick three and maybe, it, you know, or double. And maybe that has to do with my the size budget I have going into a given day or a given week. You know, I'm not saying that's the right approach, for, you know, and, and there'll be occasional times. Uh, where I'll do that with a pick four where I, you know, I'm against a favorite in a couple races and I think the favorite can't lose in a couple races, you know, I'll single, single, and then maybe use three and three in the two races that I'm against the favorites and maybe hit it multiple times. But overall in the bigger horizontals, I'm just, I'm just counting on trying to hit it once, hopefully getting enough contrarian opinions within the sequence to, you know, bust it open uh, a little bit. Okay, sounds good. Uh, Alan, why don't we get into Super Bowl, Alan? Uh, we'll, we'll let you go go first. I got some questions, too, about that. Oh, about Super Bowl, huh? You know, people know Scott's a football guy, right? What's better, Scott, football or horse racing? Got a gun to your head. What are you picking? And let's ignore the fact that you're employed by one of them. <laughs> That's a great question. I would say there's something special about the NFL that it comes once a week and the preparation is a big build up to that one week and it happens and it's all at once. But that then again, you know, if you're, if you're like myself, sometimes the once a week isn't enough. So I'll go with horse racing because it's a more regular, uh, occurring event, but that's a really tough question. And it probably depends which day of the week or how I'm doing that year with my handicapping to answer it. I can see that. And you know, I guess, some of the small-time guys in horse racing can really make a dent. I think that's one of the things horse racing's got in its advantage, where, you know, you know, a lot of rich people make a lot of money off the NFL. So, but the same in horse racing, too, I guess I should say. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess they are similar in that regards. Uh, so, it, again, it is Super Bowl week. You know, it, I don't think this is the most intriguing matchup to me personally. Is it? Uh, how do you feel? It's kind of anticlimactic to me, though I'm still going to watch it and stuff. How do you feel about this year's? Eagles Chiefs matchup. It's funny. I mean, I'm a I mean, I I hate missing the NFL on Sundays when I work at the track. I hate missing any NFL games. And then it always happens when it gets to the Super Bowl that it feels anticlimactic to an extent. 
until it comes up and maybe it's the week off that takes a little bit of the the rhythm out of out of that whole many months of every Sunday kind of thing and every week. I would say I'm okay with the Super Bowl this year. I think it's easily two of the best teams. I think the Eagles and the 49ers were collectively easily the two best teams this year and the Eagles were the better team throughout the whole season whereas the 49ers picked up steam a little bit into the season. And no doubt the Chiefs are amongst one of the, you know, I think two best teams along with the Bengals. Obviously, the Bills were in the mix as well. I was really hoping to see the Bengals in there. I know I'm, I'm not from the area. I know you guys are and the Bengals, you know, are are the team for many in the area. I've really come just to love Joe Burrow and, and Jamar yeah, and this team, and they were good to me this year. I was really hoping they could get back to the Super Bowl. I'm from Philadelphia. I'm not an Eagles fan nor a hater, but I was a season ticket holder as a kid, and all my family and friends from home are diehards. I thought that would have been a, a cool matchup. So I'm lukewarm on it on the matchup. I do think it's two really good teams. There's no one that doesn't belong there, so that's good. And you've got probably the best player on, on earth in Patrick Mahomes, and the Eagles are probably the most complete roster in the league. Yeah, that's fair to say. If you had the power uh, to put two teams in, if you could, if you just wave your, your wave your hat, wave your shat cap, and pick two teams that you would that you would be the most interested to see, who would you have put it? Would it be these two, or been somebody else? You mentioned yeah. Cincinnati. Yeah, it probably would have been Bengals Eagles or or Bengals Niners, and that's just the way you know, in terms of the way I handicapped this year, the Bengals and Niners were both good to me, outside of a couple other average teams that were good to me. So I start to get biased towards them to an extent. But I mean, it's hard to complain with the Chiefs. It's just kind of like they've been there, done that sort of feel that I think yeah. we're kind of grown tired of it. But I, there'll be a point in time and. I got caught doing this with 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 Michael Jordan where I don't I you know he kind of annoyed you know annoyed me how everybody loved the guy and he was so dominant and I just got tired of him and took it for granted and I feel like that's kind of what's happening with Patrick Mahomes I mean this guy I mean the numbers he's putting up the wins he's putting forth I mean he is going to be one of the top few quarterbacks of all time he's already shown that and he's got a long long way to go so I try want to try to embrace watching one of the best ever play. He's so unique. But, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit bored by the matchup, maybe because yeah. these are the two best teams. I don't know. Who's uh, who's the best Kelsey? Who? I mean, you know, everybody's going to point to Travis because he catches the ball. He scores touchdowns. With guys that guys that get to touch the ball, they get they get more respect. But but Jason Kelsey is a great center. I mean, he's been in Philly forever. He's been a huge part to the Eagles' success over the years, and they've had such a good offensive line for so many years. And a lot of that is because they have a, a center like Kelsey leading the way. Uh, it's hard. Travis Kelsey's getting to the point where he's the best tight end ever. I mean, he's up there with Gronk and couple other guys, maybe Kellen Winslow, Tony Gonzalez. It's hard not to say him, but I know Jason Kelsey's a little bit uh, unsung, I guess, if you will. That's a pretty good analysis, but you're wrong on both counts. The actual <laughs> answer is Kelsey Grammer is who I was going for from Frazier, the, the <laughs> irrepressible <laughs> Frazier. I set you up there, you but did. I do appreciate your analysis. <laughs> no, I agree with you on that. I just wanted to throw that in there. You, you left out Kelsey Danner. Oh, what about, Kelsey where's Kelsey Danner? Danner? Yeah. Nice. Good job. Uh, there's probably some other Kelsey's too, but okay. So Travis and Jason are fighting for third and fourth. Um, you mentioned the Philadelphia thing. That's something I was actually fascinated by because I know you are from Philadelphia, right? And well, I'm first from off, South Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Right across the bridge. Kind of like okay. yeah, Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati deal. Gotcha. That's the home of the Phillies. And now you work at the home of the Phillies, right? 
the Churchill Downs. There's a bit of an irony there, I think. But uh, not. How did you grow up in that area? And 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 you went to season. You were a season ticket holder, but you're not an Eagles fan. Ooh, it was a. It's been a long, bumpy road. I grew up a uh, an Eagle, diehard, diehard Eagles fan. I mean, it was all that mattered. I went to every Sunday game, like during Buddy Ryan days, if you remember that. Like, oh yeah, Cunningham. Yep. Yeah. And then we were just always awaiting a Super Bowl. And then a guy named Andy Reid came in as their head coach, who obviously has proven he's, uh, you know, an elite head coach in the league. Although I do think he has major issues still that Patrick Mahomes is kind of overshadowed, but. Yes, yes. He, uh, exactly what you're talking about, by the way. Go ahead. Yeah, and he, um, when he came in, you know, he brought, the, he got the team, the, him and Donovan McNabb really turned the team around. And, but they got us to, he got us to two NFC title games as touchdown favorites in back to back years. Mm-hmm. One of them was the last game at Vet Stadium. I went. We scored on the first possession and never scored again. We got dominated by a Bucks team that hadn't won in below 32 degree weather and like, a century or whatever stat they pulled out. Okay. That was a huge bummer. I cried a lot in the shower after the game. (laughs) Then the next year, the same thing happened. The new stadium opens. We play the Carolina Panthers led by Jake Delhomme, horseman down in Louisiana nowadays. And uh, the same thing happened. So I just became so aggravated by Andy Reid and the way he would, I take full responsibility for this, that I just, I, I stopped liking the Eagles. And then Chip Kelly came in, um, and he was very easy to hate. So all that being said, I, I just moved away from Philly for, I don't, haven't lived there since. So it just kind of, it kind of just dissipated. I mean, I hated him for a while. Now I'm just neutral on him. And so going to these, you know, Philadelphia, going to the Philadelphia Eagles game is renowned, uh, throughout, you know, in <laughs> war that it's pretty rough at these games that they, that, that they love their team in a very aggressively passionate way. And that there's a, there's to be a jail and veteran stadium where they'd lock all the, Oh yeah. Is that true? Is it, is it a little, it is. It was bad. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, I think it's exaggerated for sure. The difference between Philly and other places, you know, like there's many examples of them, like of the media, excuse me, pointing to like, Oh, that's Philly when it would have, you know, when it's just not really true. It happens everywhere. But there were so many fights and like, you couldn't feel comfortable bringing, you know, you couldn't feel comfortable like being in opposition, you know, just 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 violent. But my argument is I feel like it's the same in New York. It's the same in Boston. It's like it's part of the passion. It's wrong, but it's it's uh, it's just kind of the culture of, of, of how far people go in loving their teams. Um, so it's definitely true. Like the, the throwing it's snowball at Santa Claus type stuff. That's <laughs> That's a little bit, you know, of a exaggerated story, but overall, there was a jail in Vet Stadium underneath it, and it is not overly exaggerated. That is so cool. And so I'm glad. I was always wondering if that just is some silly mythology, but I guess it's not. So, all right, I was going to switch gears from the. Oh, you got a pick in the game, by the way. You know, I mean, I think the public got it, or the the sharps and public got it right. I mean, the game opened as the Chiefs favored one and a half two, and it that was Sunday right after the two title games. And within an hour, the Eagles were favored too. Yeah, I lean Eagles here. I don't have a real strong opinion. The Chiefs have a bunch of injuries to try to figure out. Um, the Eagles haven't played anyone on this run, and their schedule overall has been a little suspect. I think the Eagles are going to win gun to head, but it's not a, a game I'm excited to wager on. Yeah, I would agree with that. I was going to switch gears a little bit, CC, because if you want to take the reins before you kick it back, feel free. Uh, my only question, 
concerning the Super Bowl is uh, any prop bets that you're interested in taking a stab at? Nothing particular. This I figured this would come up. I think the one thing for people out there listening that might, you know, want to make a wager on props and stuff like that is to consider unders more than you normally would in these like over under X rushing yard. Yes or no. Will this player score a touchdown? That would, you know, the, the, the public wants to root for these kinds of things to happen. Yeah. It's kind of human nature to think of it that way. Like who's going to have a good game? That's who I want to bet on. But they, you know, the line kind of, you know, it's it's implicit in the lines a, that that's going to happen. The, the overs and, and the yeses all move up as the game gets closer. And there's a, you know, outside of the nos or the unders coming in because the player didn't perform, there's always the risk of injuries too that people don't take into account. Right. It's right. just, you know, if you if you if you if you ask that question to, you know, 10, 20 of the sharpest professionals, NFL betters around, you would find that 80 percent or more of their bets, I guess, would be on unders. So just think that way before you bet a bunch of overs on the game. I mean, even when the game could be 37, 33 or something, there's going to be a lot of no's and a lot of unders. And I mean, just picture that 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 uh, Rams was it Rams Patriots Super Bowl where it was like thirteen to three a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you bet the nos and unders in that game, you're still counting your money. So I got nothing specific. It's tough still about eight five days out when we're recording this. Like I said, the Chiefs have a lot of injuries that we have to sort out in terms of who's going to play and who's not, and pass catchers and 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 whatnot. But just kind of give a little bit of an edge or think about betting some unders when you normally wouldn't do so. That's a great point. That's a great point. See, right? because it's people are, are want to bet the, the 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 flashy stuff, right? I would think. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Who do you who do you like in the coin toss? <laughs> oh man, tails never fails, right? All right. That's right. <laughs> Go ahead, Alan. I'll I'll finish up with some Kentucky Derby Kentucky Derby uh, future wager talk. I'm, I'm glad you brought the Derby up because one of the reasons we like having Scott on, we like having Joe on. They're friends of ours and stuff, and. We 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 mean this and we we seriously mean this and we we talk about it probably too much but once again it's our podcast we don't give a damn um, the derby is 85 90 days away and like CC will probably touch on some derby stuff here in a minute but uh, I I get interested in the behind the scenes things of uh, how you guys pull this shit off that you pull off with uh, on a daily basis I know it's tough you've got a handicap you've got to do all the stuff in studio there's a lot of moving parts but that gets that gets elevated Derby week. I mean, the people that don't realize that don't live here, uh, it gets, it gets crazy starting that Tuesday, uh, the media, the, the crowds are bigger. Is it a, uh, does it get too busy, too hectic? And, and how do you, how do you plan for that? How do you make 28 hours in a day to, to be, to be sharp on camera to, to, to there's more races, there's more horses. I mean, what all goes into that? Is it, does it get a little too much at times? No, I think it's what I, I think it's what I live for, you know, the way I'm wired. And now that I'm used to it, you know, this will be my fifth year, fifth Kentucky Derby here in Louisville working for uh, Churchill Downs Inc. And now that I kind of have a a better feel for how to manage my time, I certainly do not feel overwhelmed with it. But like you said, it gets started early. We have those uh, morning work shows starting a week before, even when you mentioned so we're out there starting to record at 6 a.m. or whatever it is. Um, but I think it's all about preparation, Alan, you know, preparing beforehand, 
um, trying to stay ahead of things. One advantage of those derby cards on the Friday and Saturday, going back to a point that we touched on at the beginning of this conversation is these are horses we are ultimately in most of those races more familiar with than, you know, the shipper from Valterra in race four in the claiming event. So that helps for sure. You kind of get a feel for the races. And when it comes to the Derby itself, I mean, I'm I'm already thinking about, not, you know, and being in my fifth year of doing it, when I'm preparing for these prep races and watching these races and handicapping, I'm already starting to think, okay, well, if this horse, you know, gets in, you know, you, you just kind of learn how to, to, to handicap the story of the horse. So then your notes are easier to, to conjure up, if you will. We don't have a, a production assistant handing us the notes. We got to come up with them ourselves. Right. But um, I love it. You know, I, I it's, it's probably more difficult the way the, the way it's structured um, at Churchill Downs to be to keep the steam up for two months after the Derby than it is yeah. to be ready for the Derby at the beginning. But there certainly are, are, you know, two, three hour nights of sleep that you just kind of, you know, you're running on adrenaline when, when you get to Oaks Day and Derby Day. But it's what we all live for. There's a lot of people that would be uh, would love to, to be in my shoes those days. And I just try to dig down if I am tired and, and think about those things. Yeah, I guess it is a labor of love. And I'm but I'm also sure the Sunday after Derby is probably kind of a welcome respite, too. Right. That that day after on Derby is probably a, a good day to catch up on some sleep and some other things. Yeah, I mean the, the 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 drinking that goes on after the derby is the most enjoyable. Uh, I imagine vibing after, and then that sleep, uh, that sleep on Sunday and Monday, whenever we get to bed, is uh, is some of the best. But uh, yeah, wouldn't trade wouldn't trade it uh, wouldn't trade the derby uh, part of my job for much. And uh, t- to be honest, it's big reason why I live here. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool, and I can completely get it. And, and you know, and, and I'm not right about a lot of things. But one thing I am right about, and I, I'm confident about this, and I don't budge from this, is how well, and I touched on this earlier, how well you and Joe and Brandon and Caitlin and, and Scully, when he does there, how well the, how good of a job you guys do. For you guys go the extra mile. You talk about, you talk about the wagering. You you try to cover all the facets, right? And uh, I would debate anybody on that topic that you guys are the best there is not sucking up because we're friends. I'm suck. I'm just <laughs> telling you what I know. And, you know, I kind of think of you guys as like a basketball team. You, you see if you agree with this. OK, I've mentioned this to Joe before, like he's like the point guard that, that can score. He can still he can get buckets. Right. He, he can run the offense if he needs to, but he can get he can get the buckets when he needs to. You're kind of like the shooting guard, the two guard who can who can light up from outside, maybe take somebody off the dribble. Right. You know, Caitlin, maybe like the small forward kind of wing kind of person who's going to be a star in time. And you got like Brandon is like the player coach power forward type. <laughs> and, and Scully maybe is like the center who will go in there and mix it up and throw some elbows and stuff. How, how close am I? I've always been a gunner on the court. So maybe uh, maybe you're spot on. I, I, I never met a three point shot I didn't like back in the day. But no, I appreciate those kind words. I, I definitely think we work as hard as anyone. I think, like you said, I think one thing that we that, you know, I try to do and along with Joe is really um, incorporate the wagering. You know, that's 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 a big part of what we're doing. It, it's hard to get into the details too much and, and really get into, you know, deep into stuff with the with the time we're given in each race and kind of what we're told to do. But but we really want to, you know, focus on that as much as is all the other stuff. It's important to talk about why we think horses are going to run well or perform less than that best but if we're not helping you try to wager 
on those horses and give you advice on that, then we're not really doing our due diligence. And I'd like to be able to get to that stuff a lot more in a lot more depth than, than we are, unfortunately, and have battled for that, but it's, it doesn't always pan out, but uh, yeah, the kind words are uh, appreciated. It's definitely taken a lot of work on my end personally, um, not to can't speak for anybody else to get to the point where I'm, where I'm at and where I'm happy with, you know, the, the public speaking side and being on camera and stuff, but handicapping races forever. But the other stuff is not something I went to school for or anything. Just kind of had to, to learn it and take some tough love from people that have more experience than me. So, uh, to hear you say that means a lot. Well, like I said, I'm never, there's some things I'm never wrong about. It's one thing I kind of like, uh, I'll dig my feet in the sand on that one. Uh, you guys are good. It's one of the few shows I would watch. I don't watch other tracks, so I do watch you. I watch the fairgrounds. Uh, Kilroy's really good too. I like Kilroy. My man. Yeah, he's good stuff. So, um, I, one, I know he wants to touch a little bit about the Derby before we, before I kick it back in for one last time. Turfway does have a pick five carryover uh, tomorrow. It's a tough sequence. It's a late pick five. We're not going to go into a whole bunch of things handicapping five races and burn a lot of time. Is there anything that you've looked at so far that sticks out to you? Because I think it's a tough sequence. No, it's it is. I think we got four 12 horse fields and a nine horse field. So uh, you know, we hear all the time we want uh, take out friendly wagers. Well, nothing's more friendly than a, than a carryover already uh, a decent uh, takeout rate, and then you have these full fields. So it's what horse players are looking right. for. I think race five is a race. It's a maiden special. Mm-hmm year old fillies i think this is a race that has a chance to uh produce a uh, non-logical winner a couple right. second time starters caught my eye and number eight condone yes well-bred daughter of justify that had a brutal middle part of her trip when i thought she had some run now she stretches out your man declan cannon our man my man declan cannon will be aboard <laughs> and uh i also think number four chica de oro at a big price has a chance uh there's some route influence on the damn side the damn hour queen this is a, a horse Bred and owned by Buff Bradley and Carl Hurst. And uh, this horse ran, I thought, better than uh, maybe the distant third would suggest on debut. So that would be a race I think you could maybe bust out. Maybe. Those are the two I like. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, Guess it is. I get yeah. 15 to 1, huh? Yeah. Well, you're not going to win because Vicky Oliver trains one of them, and I never went on Vicky <laughs> Oliver. But I, those are the two I like. Continue on. <laughs> uh, then I think, and then I think, if you're looking for a horse to lean on in the sequence, obviously you talked about finding favorites that are vulnerable at Turfway, and then maybe spreading around. Well, if you're doing that, unless you have a, a much bigger budget than I do, you got to find places to to go narrow. And the next race, an open eighteen thousand dollar claimer race six, I thought was a race that looked a little formful, and a lot of that is because I think that the horses. Uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of horses on the front end. We talked about yeah. races at Turfway kind of playing to the race shape that it looks like on paper. Tons of speed in here. And I think number seven, Bath and Tennis, is going to get a perfect outside stalking trip on the class drop under Gerardo Corrales, two for three over the surface. Uh, if, if she was drawn inside, I'd be worried she'd get caught up in the battle. But I think the outside post will work to her advantage. I'm probably going to lean on Bath and Tennis in race six. I can see that. I can definitely see that. But uh, are you going to play? Would you plan on playing the sequence tomorrow? Oh, no doubt. I'll, I'll, you know, that's one thing I'm going to always be a sucker for. Almost always be a sucker for a, a carryover in the pick five at my home track. You know, those are the ones that I, you know, maybe there's times when I shouldn't play it because I don't have the opinions. I'm usually going to get suckered in and uh, dive into those pools. Yeah. Did you like it made that sequence tomorrow, CC? Did you, have you looked at it yet? I haven't looked at it. Sorry. I thought paid. I thought paid twice in the last race might be worthwhile to. Uh, Man, that race is. 
it's tough. But Sergio Baez, that trainer, people don't know him. He, the stats don't really say it. He he does well with first time acquisitions, better than it looks, whatever. And that guy got tough. That guy horse got stuck chasing a Roman's horse last time that was ready to run, and he just got tired late. So you know, yeah, that horse. That horse makes some sense. I thought that um, number three weather prayer could move forward on the drop and the stretch back out. The Axeman, man, as he's called, uh, Luan Machado, I think will be more aggressive than Vincent Chamino was. And I thought coal miners kitten uh, didn't really have an ideal voyage right. and drops as well. Those are the three I'd probably use in there. My two and you're uh, paid twice. Yeah. There's a lot of one pace type horses there and stuff. Oh, you, yeah. get in the, you get somebody in the front end or whatever. And that, that's what, that's how you kind of beat those races. Whatever. You, there's a lot of one pace types in there, but you see that a lot, especially with the uh, cheap maiden claiming routes. So no doubt. Anyway, you're up, CC. All right. Well, it's never too early to think about uh, the Kentucky Derby. So uh, this weekend, uh, Churchill's going to offer its uh, pool four of uh, the Kentucky Derby future wager. And, and already? Really? I didn't realize. Already. Yeah. So, you know, the, w- one of the cool things about it now, that you have, uh, instead of 24 wagering interest, it goes up to 40. And uh, I was going to ask Scott, uh, first of all, do you play the future wager? Is that something that interests you at all? It does. I, I like to play these more further out when there's more variance, more, uh, more likelihood of a bigger price. You know, coming in, I say that as Rich Strike won it last year, so that kind of he goes against you, did everything. Didn't he beat you last year? With, didn't you have Epicenter in the future? Is that right? Uh, I had uh, Zandon last Zandon, year. okay. I had Zandon at about 35 to 1 or so. Uh, um, there were people that had Epicenter, I know, at, at 100 uh, one, so I didn't feel quite as bad. And I had – it wasn't it wasn't Rich Strike's fault that I uh, didn't win. I mean, Zandon had every chance to run He by, did. He so. did. We found out a lot about Zandon, I think, as the year went on. I thought he was, uh, I thought he was coming into that race ready for his best, and I think it was his best. He just wasn't as good as Epicenter at any point, really. Agreed, agreed. And I was a Zandon guy. You're exactly right there. Yeah, no, I love. I mean, Zandon had everything go his way, pretty much. I guess if he would have, if if Pratt would have maybe waited longer, easy to say. I mean, following yeah. Epicenter around the track seemed like the perfect trip to me, but. So, yeah, uh, CC, I tend to, to try to get involved with a couple uh, positions earlier on uh, in, the, in the year, some years more so than others. And then as we get closer, I tend to just kind of live and die with my opinions in the preps and then, of course, the, the derby itself. All right. Well, let's talk about some of these uh, these entrants. Uh, for, I want to lead off with number 40, and that's all of the three-year-olds. And it's two to one on the morning line. You're going to get Every horse that hasn't blossomed just yet, plus you're going to get a ton of Bob Baffert horses. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep, the Baffert horses are not in the body of the race, or excuse me, the body of the, uh, whatever you call it, the field, Field. yeah, so to speak. So uh, what's the lowest price you would accept on on number 40, uh, knowing that you're going to get, you're probably going to get at least two or three Bob Baffert entrants, and then you're going to get some late bloomers as well. That's a great question, and I was stunned by the the two to one that it went off in pool three. I mean, stunned. Nothing wow. has really changed since then, but I would think that people, you know, I don't know if the if the forty entrance or sorry thirty eight plus the Phillies and the and the all others has chased people away a little bit from backing the field with larger amounts of money, but in that in the case of this 
at this point right now with these Baffert horses, on top of the fact that I don't think we've seen too many horses step to the forefront, it still seems like that's a very, very, I mean, two to one seems ridiculously fair. And I would say six to five-ish is probably fair in this pool. What do you think? That's exactly what I was going to say. When CX play, I thought six to five. What about you, CC? Well, I was trying to think about this earlier. If you get, let's say you get three Baffert horses, and you're probably going to get one that's six to one, and you're getting one that's 10 to one, and you're getting one that's probably 12 to one. And then you're probably going to get some long shots too. You'll probably get some 30 to one shots maybe. Let's just say you get five, six horses. I mean, if you were dutching that bet with, you know, six to five would be probably fair, right? You're going to have a 30, yeah, 40% chance of winning. I, I, well, that, that probably, those odds wouldn't work out though, right? Well, I mean, and you're assuming at this point, I mean, the way I'm seeing things, Arabian Night is the favorite in the race right now, right? Assuming that he, mm-hmm. that he gets, you know, transferred into a barn and he's eligible and gets points. Assuming all that stuff happens that happened with, you know, Taba and Messier to get them in the race last year. I mean, to me, it's him and Forte that have stepped up and then there's a, a, another tier. That's the tier break. I mean, we're, we're way out. But yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, there's a chance Arabian Night with another performance in his net in his last prep or whatever i mean he, he could easily be the 702 favorite right yeah i'm sitting yeah, here thinking it's like, like you, you get the baffert horses plus there's late bloomers who have won the derby like a rich strike like um oh uh charismatic was you know i mean you're gonna get some good non-baffert horses it's just we just don't know yet i mean we just haven't matured yet. So, yeah, you got me thinking about I might bet that for a change. It's just so hard for a guy, you know, guys, you know, I don't want to speak for your guys bankrolls, but like what what are you what are you going to bet to make you? Oh, seven dollars. Easy. Right. So that's that's the thing. I mean, when I play when I play the Derby, I, I don't want to hit I don't want to hit for one hundred dollars. I want to hit for a thousand dollars. Right. So exactly. I, I'd have to bet 500. I, that's way outside of my bankroll for something like this. Exactly. That's so that's the thing as a player like our size of better, you know, you're putting you're tying the money up for three months at this point. You know, what do you want to get in return to make it worth it? You know, that that's where it becomes tricky. But if you're just looking at it, if you're a guy that bets every day and you're just looking to get your money in, in a plus EV spot, there's no doubt the two to one was a good bet last time, and and it, anything near that would be a really good bet again this time. So let me ask you guys something real quick because I don't bet, I don't make that bet every year. Uh, if an exacta, because they they do the exacta now, right? Am I right about that? Can you bet yeah, I think so. So yeah. what if it comes field horse, field horse? Do you get the does it, the horse have to run third for you get the exacta? Yes. Okay, I'm just making sure. Not that I'm going to play yeah. it. I'm just curious. That'd be something you could do too if you like really like it. Forgot about my exacta bets last year. Maybe I did have a maybe I did have an epicenters and an exacta too. Maybe it is Rich Strike I can blame for my failures after. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right, so give us give us some horses in the body of the race that you think uh, might be interesting. Well, I mean, I think the obvious ones that are going to take the money. The all others like that you, you were just discussing CCAR. First and foremost, you've got um, Forte who we haven't seen yet, but uh, obviously stamped himself as a major player and haven't heard any reason to believe that he's not, you know, on schedule to be good. You've got Instant Coffee, who I would never back at this point, no. but will take money, has done little wrong. And I I did think took a big step forward. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know about numbers, but visually I felt like he, he finished with more authority than he did in any of his two-year-old races. Horses that I would look at, you know, 
the the timing of the pools is something I like to think about with these coming up every couple few weeks. Kind of using recency bias against the public is one way of doing it. So last year, that's how I ended up with Zandon because there were a couple. I, I can't remember the exact horses of the in the race. But I didn't love them, and they won that weekend. And, of course, that's fresh in people's minds. So right. it's going to be underlays, whereas horses, for instance, like Banishing, who it's not ideal for this horse who I had very high on my list and still do to miss a race leading up to the Derby when they're lightly raced. But I think the talent's there for this horse. And according to Brendan Walsh, it was just a minor setback. He's going to run on the undercard, I think, on the Risen Star Day. That'll give him the Louisiana Derby. And he is out of people's minds right now, right? He's 30 to 1. He hasn't raced since Gunrunner Day or whatever, that uh, December 26th at, at Fairgrounds. So there's very little reason to think that the public is going to be thinking a lot about him. Um, this is a trickier one because the only prep this week, I believe, is the Sam F. Davis so there's not going to be that horse that kind of pops into people's minds. But you'd have to think maybe a horse uh, like the Belmont runner Rocket Ken would get more money than others. Tappet Trice is the horse that I think is going to be the the underlay. Right. A lot of respect for him. He yeah. ran super well. But it's fresh in people's minds how well he ran. And he still has a lot of work to do to to make the race, let alone win the race. So I'd probably be willing to, to, to if he's, you know, to overlook him. Do we give any, you know, I see who's your Philly here at 50 to one and I never get sucked into the Philly thing, you know, it, but this feels like a little bit of a different situation at the right price. I would consider betting the Philly, I think, but I don't think the right price will be there because I think the steam is, is pretty high. At 50 to one though. I mean, I can take a little steam with that, but I like, I'll, that's why we're having him on, right? It's really like Scott. But his uh, his analysis are spot on. I I agree with everything he said. It's I don't even think who, who's your Philly's the best three year old Philly right now. Who do you think is red carpet ready? I was <laughs> it, it's supremely yeah, that shocked. Was, I was in awe of that race at Gulfstream. It was Saturday. still one turn though. It don't, it was still you're one right. Turn. But yeah, she is bred to go. She's bred to go long. Oscar yeah. performance out of uh, I can't remember the the damn side was it Dan Silly or something like that. But she yeah she's got the pedigree good to stretch out. Yeah. She, she relaxed. Yeah. She beat a good horse. She beat uh, Hoover in second. Yeah. It was the Chad right. Brown Philly. No, yeah. That was a good race. Good field. Good race. Huge effort. I really can't argue. I just don't know. I, I would be willing to bet there's a 0.0% chance she runs in the Kentucky Derby. That's the problem. Where, well, no, 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 no. We're not going to the Derby. We're going yeah, to Amos, the Derby. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Amos has been pretty clear that. You know, if, if she runs well in the Rachel Alexander, I would be shocked if we don't see her in the Louisiana Derby. Let's just put it that way. From there, I don't know where it's going to go. Um, and then I think that, I think that um, you know, if I had to bet a Brad Cox horse right now, there's two I'd look at, price dependent. And that would be Giant Mischief, who I think is probably the one that I think is the best. But I think Tappet's Conquest, who lost yeah, on yeah. the undercard on – Tough ride, tough ride. Tough ride off the bench, and they were ready to run this horse in the Risen Star before Banishing came out of the allowance event. That tells me, you know, they were between the two of them. It tells me he was doing very, very well for them to have made that decision. Um, basically, the morning of, Brad had gone back and forth 
uh, on what he was going to do, had been kind of keeping it to himself. And the fact that they were going to run that horse in the LeCompte against Instant Coffee, who clearly is a good horse, told me they think that horse is is better than what we saw. And what we saw as a two-year-old was very impressive. I mean, he overcame significant trouble in that first turn as a cap at a two to really win convincingly the first try at two turns. So those are a couple I'm, I'm interested in. I don't know if I'm going to get involved in this one. I, you know, I don't, I, I, like I said, I think the biggest thing for me is timing in these pools. And when I think there's a, an underlayer two based on recent events, I think that's the best time to jump in. But you know, if, if there's there's going to be plenty of horses at big prices that are attractive. Well, another Brad Cox horse I wanted to touch on was verifying. This horse is third choice, well, fourth choice if you count the field, the number 40 entry. But this horse is 15 to 1 off an allowance win at Oakland. I thought that allowance win, by the way, was very impressive. And he beat a next out winner, Gun Pilot. But, you know, verifying at 15, I was thinking 25, 30 to 1 uh, this far out. What do you think about verifying? I think he's amongst the best Brad Brad horses, which is a, a a big group of horses right now to separate. When you look at the field here, it's half Brad Cox horses almost. But I would not be willing to swallow the 15 to 1. I do think he took a nice step forward in that Oakland race, running down invulnerable, right? Or no, who was it that he ran? Was it invulnerable? That he, no, 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 it wasn't. That was the uh, that was hit show. He ran down gun, a legitimate horse. I forget. Gunpowder, right? It gun. gun Gun yeah. Pilot came back to win Saturday. Yeah, was really good last week, actually. Yeah. Uh, so that part is is good. I just I think the price is a little short. I think we're going to see verifying and maybe giant mischief in the Rebel. And I think there's a, a likelihood that we're going to see maybe Tappet's Conquest and um, one other in the uh, maybe Victory Formation and the Risen Star. That's semi guessing at this point, kind of reading between the uh, notes, if you will. All right. Uh, well, that's all I have, uh, Scott. Uh, Alan, you got more questions for, for Mr. Yeah, Shapiro? I can talk to Scott for days, but we'll catch up some more other time. <laughs> we uh, we don't want to keep this guy too long or whatever. He's got he's got a Super Bowl to handicap. He's got uh, 15 tracks to do. He's got Turfway Pick 5 to take down. Uh, we appreciate him coming on because, obviously, he's great. He could, we could talk to Scott all day, you know. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Scott, we're, we're very grateful that you uh, took some time to join us. No, anytime, guys. I, I feel the same. I always enjoy talking to you guys. I always enjoy seeing you out at the track. You've become, uh, I don't know, a ton of people in Kentucky that I would consider friends, but you were definitely two of them. And I'm glad over the years we've gotten to uh, know each other and, and really appreciate, uh, you know, all the kind words that you give and the support. It means a lot. Well, you, well first of all, if you don't make me cry, thank you for those kind words. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, good luck tomorrow night. if you, Because I've got this, this weird feeling he's going to hit that tomorrow. Season. I have a weird feeling, Scott. It's that auxiliary gate push. He's auxiliary gate love, baby. All right. Yeah, we, we've had quite a – yeah, this is a, a stepping stone to great things for a lot of people, apparently. <laughs> yeah, it really is, yes. Unlike, yeah, except it. for us. <laughs> except for us. We're, yeah, we're the only ones that have accomplished it. <laughs> well, Thanks, yeah, we man. do thank you, Scott. We really do appreciate it. Likewise, man. Enjoyed it. Well, we always love when Scott joins us. Uh, he, I absolutely – Love the job that he does with Churchill. I think uh, I think he's one of the best in the business. I, I would rank him up there. I think Andy Serling. Uh, I think uh, guys like uh, uh, the guy at Fair, uh, Gulfstream, Nicoletti. I like him a, a little bit. I um, mean, he's good. He's a good uh, uh, good handicapper. I think 
uh, fairgrounds. Of course, Joe Christofek, uh, our friend, is, is excellent. Uh, Kilroy. Uh, there's a lot of I, I think the guy at Mountaineers is excellent. Uh, I can't think of his name, but I think that guy's really good. You just can't hear him. He talks. He mumbles when he talks. That, I've, I've listened to that guy. That guy just like he, he knows Mountaineer inside and out. But uh, Scott, Scott's at the top, don't you think? Oh, yeah, Scott's at the top. I, I don't say these things because uh, because I don't mean I say what I mean. They're great. They're good. I, I guess because I relate. I know what they're talking about. They think in a lot of regards. Maybe it's maybe it's a backhanded compliment myself. I don't know. But I just they think a lot of the ways that I think or whatever. And I just I just think the production value that they put on a Churchill and their insight and their wagering knowledge and thinking a little bit differently than the other. Well, and a lot of the other garbage you hear in some other places. Uh, they're at the top. They're at the top. I'll say it. I'm right about it. I said it earlier. I'm right. I know I'm right. And I'll, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll take a stand on that. Yeah. Scott is excellent. Yeah. I think he's valuable. I, I would call him very valuable I, I, along the lines of a Maggie Wolfendale. I think yeah. she's valuable to uh, New York's uh, product, production, simulcast production. Yeah. I, um, now I love Scott. I think Maggie's from a, from a physical standpoint. I think I partake Maggie over Scott, nothing against Scott. Very handsome feller, but outside of that, every other thing I agree with. <laughs> yeah, so uh, keep that in mind. We're going to just uh, touch on a on a topic real quick. Uh, okay. I'm going to ask you. So, if you were a racetrack, what would be something you would do to to increase handle? Oh Jesus Christ! Uh, God, I don't know. Well, uh, uh, that's a bad question. I'm sorry. No, no, that's that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a that's a, no. I, I, fr- no, I phrased I phrased the question wrong. Okay. What what is an what is an important factor to increasing handle? Let's put it that way. That's a better question. Well, there's obvious things, I guess. The obvious thing would be takeout, but sometimes I don't lowering takeout. I don't know if that's the that's the be all end all answer because a lot of the people that come out there in Derby don't give a rat's ass what the takeout is, or you know, some or some people some people should make more of a point to know what takeout is. They don't, but you see that at, at a casino, people don't know what the odds are in the the games that they're playing. So I would like to think that's the ideal answer. I'm not sure it is. Um, I, the, the, the easiest thing for me would be to explain the game better. It's, it's a difficult game to understand. It's an intimidating game initially. If you could somehow break it down, I, I don't know. It's, you know, we, the three of us just talked about it. We all knew what we were talking about. How many people would listen to that? who are novices and understand some of the things we were saying. And we were probably, we we're, and we try to be somewhat uh, basic. So I don't know what the answer is. Hopefully you do. I would think churn would be number yes. one. If you're talking uh, take, handle, out, yeah. take out, take out and churn are one and one A. Right. And what I mean by churn is, you know, I mean, just say I bet a hundred dollars show on a horse and I get back two forty to, to show what do I get out of that? $120. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I take that $120 and put it back into the pools again. Well, that's good for the racetrack. That's churn. That's churning money in and out of the pools. I think the more winners that a customer has is good for the uh, good for the the racetracks, the, the racetrack operators. Of course. And so I've stumbled onto this and I, I've I've worn you and Brandon out uh, just texting oh. this over and over the, the this Twitter account live horses at live horses. And I think this guy's got the right idea. Whoever runs the account, I don't know who runs the account, but they've got the right idea that if you can give hints to the public, to the wagering public on 
who the live horses are. What I mean by a live horse is a horse that's probably got a better than average shot of winning the race. If you know that going into a race, then I think you're going to hit more races and, and more often. And I'm, I'm looking for a, a facts to back this up. I, I created my own Excel sheet spreadsheet using pick three wheel pays and double wheel pays to find out which horses have, uh, according to the wheel pays, a better shot in rel- in relation to the morning line. And it was uncanny how many times that uh, this thing pointed me toward a winner. Now, the problem is I, I'm still struggling to, to put together wagers to capitalize on this. But there were horses that I would not have considered in my wagering had it not been for for you know for this little excel spreadsheet and it's the same thing that this live horses guy does i'm trying to find a find my my wagering history from friday night because that's when i had i had a good night at turfway it was the first good night i've had in a long time it was february the third may i interject real quick yeah yeah go ahead now i i i get all that right and but this is going to sound almost arrogant that you're talking smart money there. Right. And the basis, which I actually, and I'm an auto worker. I actually believe I am smart money. And I mean, not just myself, but other people are, it's like, I can look at a line and I know who's going to be live in the next race. So it's like, almost like I can, if I, I see a bad line, this works be five to one. He's, he's, two, he's going to be two to one next week. I'm, I think I'm pretty good at that. So it's the same concept. It's the same concept or whatever. It's like, uh, Trying to determine, trying to figure out how the public is going to bet, basically, right? Now there'll be some things that fall through the cracks where horses will be live that you may not know, that you may not realize are live. You get that maybe the bigger tracks with some younger horses. I don't know if you get that at Turfway, so to speak, the horses are live. But um, I think that's just a not unusual phrase, common sense. But yeah, it's like, I mean, you'll have to break it down for me a little bit more than that. But I just think that's just a, just another example of smart money just a little bit early now that would help a novice a lot more right if they if they hey this horse is getting played in the pick three the pick at the double i think that's what you're saying right yes okay. in relation to the morning line now you got to have a good morning line if you have a bad okay. morning line then the, the information's almost useless okay. but i mean and like if you know i've, I've found that the info is less uh helpful if you have like a 20 to 1 morning line and a horse is bet down to 15 to 1 that's no good because that's like what is that like uh 25 percent uh is 25 percent less than the morning line so that that's right. gonna it, yeah I, I, I don't know what i'm getting at but anyway I, i've i handled for me this is a lot of money i handled 470 dollars friday night at turfway that was my that's the number of bets I placed. And then the next day I placed eight hundred dollars in wagers. That was at Gulfstream, Oaklawn, and Turfway. So and I used this I used this spreadsheet and it just it churned I mean it helped me churn money. It turned I turned and churned and churned. No now here here's what I'm getting at. Do you know the guy on uh M, I think it's uh, well he's on NBC. He does he's on the Derby telecast, uh Kornaki. Kornak, Steve Kornacki, you know what I'm talking I about? I don't know him. He he does election night coverage too. Oh, right? that guy, he, that guy. He's he's the numbers guy. I want to see one of these racetracks take this information and present it like that guy does. 
That's like, fair. Think, I can get behind that. I can get behind that. Think about all the information that, that we don't know about in terms of uh, multi-race wagers. Like, they they could easily present to us, all right, after the first race is run and all the pick five wagers are in, they can say, all right, this is the most singled horse through all the wagers. This is the most singled horse in races two, three, four, and five, just for your information, just so you'll know. And you can present that before every single race. They know they can, they should be able to present that information to us by now. I'd agree the with technology, that. The technology is there. Right. That's what I'm getting at. I want to see a, a Steve Kornacki with it in front of a giant, a giant TV screen. And he just, he's just whipping out this information and we finally get used to it. And then we know I'm moving my hands. Like, you know, like everybody can see me, but this is, I, I want to see that because that helps me make my wagers. Well, you know, okay. That, Here's the flip side of that. And now I would maybe agree with that, but to a different extent. Because here's the way I play horses oftentimes, and because I'm a bit of a price player. If you give me that information and I see everyone is going towards this one horse, it's the same thing with when you see an internet tip or whatever, people are going to pound this horse of four to five. I'm not going to play that horse. I know that that, that, that too much money being put, put on one horse, this part of knowing the odds, is going to inflate the odds on other horses, and they should go up higher. That's the way I look at it. It's like, so if you want to tell me that this horse got pounded in the pick four, Okay, maybe he's live, but I still got to weigh that's okay. So now, to me, he's going to be over bet in comparison to his chances. And this horse that I like that was four to one floats up to seven to one. I have to trust my handicapping to begin with that I was right about the four to one. Now I'm looking at an opportunity where I'm getting seven to one. So I'm all for that. So it can work in the in the in the opposite manner, right? Because this horse is live in the, in the multis, and it can be a good sign, but it also be a sign that if you show this information to the public that he's going to get over bet. And the other horses in that race are going to get, get be the beneficiary price wise. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, that, yeah, that that's where handicapping comes into play. Right, I, this exactly. Is, yeah, what I'm getting at is like if I'll, I'll come across horses on a regular that I don't like to get played yes. in in different pools, and like I don't I don't see it. I don't see how this why this horse. But then you have to use the horse defensively uh, by doing this spreadsheet. If you if you avoid the multi race wagers, I think I think you can uh, maybe maybe discover some anomalies in the pools and use you know use that to your advantage. That's all I'm saying. I, I think this I think th- this guy's got the right idea. And, and, and so far through three days of wagering, I didn't do worth a dime on Sunday, but I only placed three wagers I think or two wagers. It's it my turn. I mean I've I've bet I think I've bet over fourteen fifteen hundred dollars. Or, well, not that much, but it was close to fourteen or fifteen hundred dollars in three days, and I didn't, I didn't get killed. Okay. So, like, and then, like, and I'll, I'm, I'll come back tomorrow because now, you know, I, I've got money in my pocket. Right. Whereas, right. you know, whereas I don't, I don't know, that just. Well, you perfect that spreadsheet and then sell it. Okay. Well, uh, it's easy. Perfect. No, I, I stole it from somebody else. It was on the uh, In the Money podcast website. If you can find it, I don't know how to. But yeah, it's 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 out there, and I've, it's it, perfected already. And that said, now again, short yeah, that's a short term. It's not a uh, you know we there's not many uh, factors involved in that. That's a we have see if you if you believe in this, that this may be the case, and it has to be you know a bigger sample size, correct? So, uh, but I see what you're getting at. I I would have a tendency to approach that in the opposite faction if I know people are 
if I see uh, this, these Twitter tips and everybody's on this one horse of a lifetime and he's going to be bet down three to five, I'm either A, not going to bet, or I'm going to bet some other horse in the race. So it can work both ways, right? So I, I'm all yeah. for it, man. If you can beat this game, I'm all for it. Well, it's not going to help me beat the game. I mean, you know. It's, but it's, you're also it's, saying it's going to increase the, churn for newer people, and it's going to increase handle total. My yeah, what I yeah the the ultimate point of all this, I think racetracks should take advantage of this. I, I I don't I think more winners is good for the game as a whole. If more people walk away happy, you know, hey, I cashed some winners today. If, if, you know, that's that's ultimately good for the game. And, and right. rather than rather than having uh, you know a ten race card and six of them were fifty to one shots that nobody well, no, that's that's extreme. Just say six, six of them were. 12 to 15 to one shots that nobody had, you know, just a handful of people walk away with money. That's, that's probably not a good thing. It is for me. Run. Cause I probably had two of those. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I, I certainly wouldn't. I get your point. You know, so, I mean, the, the game already owns my soul. I'm going to keep coming back anyway, but you know, <laughs> I love people, the way you said that. yeah, that's the way it is. So that's all I've got. I like it. I like it. Okay. So, on behalf of our guest this evening, Scott Shapiro from Churchill Downs, TwinSpires.com, and Alan Schneider, and of course Brandon Jaggers, who's taking care of his baby again. I'm CC Broadus, reminding you that gambling money ain't got no home. <laughs>